And that brings Syracuse football to mind. A lot of things on our uh, plate there, been busy recruiting-wise, the name, image, and likeness debate that's been out there, the renovations at the Dome, and when we need answers on Syracuse football, we turn to this man. You can find him on the digital pages of Syracuse.com. You can certainly find him on Twitter, at MinkNate. Let's bring him in. Nate Mink, Syracuse.com, on the block ESPN Radio. Nate, how are you, pal? Doing doing well, Brad. I believe this is the, the first time since this whole ordeal started that I've joined the show, so that tells me that, what, we're going on two months, and, and only now you've gotten to me, you must be putting on a heck of a show <laughs> that, you've, that you've lasted this long. How dare I last this long without getting the great <laughs> Nate Mink on is what you really should say. But, no, that's an interesting point that you make, Nate, because last time spring football was starting, and then spring football was ending just as quickly as it did, and... Boy, I, look, they might still have some sort of off-season program. Who knows how this is going to go? But there's a question right there. Like, you've got a new offensive coordinator. You've got a new defensive coordinator. You've got all this stuff you've got to put in and prep and try and adjust before the season starts. And they had, what, three practices in spring ball? That's going to be fascinating to see how Syracuse adjusts to that, right? Well, they didn't even, they didn't even get a chance to put the pads on, Brent. And one of the things that I, I seared in my brain is just being around Dino for the past four years is the spring, the spring practice session is really where they get physical. You know, they practice really, really hard and really, really physical in the spring uh, because you need to have that, that level of physicality to compete in the ACC. And they choose to do it in the spring so that if they lose a few guys, you know, to, to minor injuries they have, the summer to heal up. Well, now without a spring practice, you really don't have a chance to, to really introduce that, that level or that taste of physicality that you normally would. So even if you do come back, say, in, in uh, mid-July or, or whatnot, and you have that sort of six- to eight-week window to, to prep, you know, all of your time, I, I think, unless they, they change the rules, will really be geared towards, you know, a lot of the, the install that you're, that you're talking about with the two new coordinators, but also just just preparing and getting in conditioning shape uh, and practice shape to, to be able to, to start playing games uh, whenever that may be. So I, I think that's the that's a, a missing piece that I don't think is discussed a lot is how physical Syracuse chooses to practice in the spring. There's a whole lot of I don't knows out there when it comes to this, and, and that may be the answer. So if it is, that's fine. But as we stand here today on May 5th, Nate, where, where, where do you think college football's at in terms of Let's just say a normal start time right around Labor Day, that Monday we're watching college football. What would you put the percentage of that happening being at right now? You know, I, I think I don't know is, is my default answer for a lot of this stuff. But I, I will say, you know, I, I do think we're going to see football played in some fashion. I'll even go and say this this fall. Now, I don't know when they're going to start, and I don't know what the games are going to look like, whether there's going to be fans or not, or I don't even know how many games are going to be played. But, you know, I, I think just in, in kind of reading the tea leaves and seeing how some other schools around the country are starting to come out publicly and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to attempt to hold fall classes uh, this upcoming semester that's going to at least introduce the the prospect of campuses at least opening up. Now again, how that what that looks like with with social distancing protocols in place about uh you know how packed lecture halls are going to be or again, you know, any type of large gathering 
capacities, you know, IDK, I don't know. Um, but it, it seems like we're, we're starting to at least introduce the concept of, okay, in, in another four or five months, uh, we're at least going to hopefully be in a position where we have at least uh, one of these early phases starting to open up on, on most campuses. Now, the tricky thing about college football that is, is really unique to, to any other major sport is, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's so dependent on, on the localities and the, the municipalities and the campuses uh, across all these different geographic regions. So, you know, clearly uh, downstate New York, New Jersey, I'm thinking like Rutgers, and whatnot is, is might be in a totally different place as opposed to, you know, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Or if you go across the country, uh, you know, Spokane, Washington might be in a little bit different place than UCLA in Southern California. So those are all obstacles that, as we stand here on, on Cinco de Mayo, I don't think anyone has a definitive answer to to yet. But uh, again, I think, you know, some uh, enough university presidents and, and some, some people in higher ed, top officials are at least becoming comfortable enough to make public statements saying, you know, we intend to, to be open come September. Reading some of the headlines on our very site tells us the world we're in, particularly with how busy it's been recruiting-wise for Syracuse. Virtual tour seals the deal for Syracuse defensive end commit Hayden Nelson. Atlanta defensive end Derek McDonald chose Syracuse without ever meeting a coach. This is fascinating to see how this staff, and everybody's in the same boat, Nate, but how this staff in particular has recruited players, gotten commitments, and gone through this process because usually they want the prospects here. They want to sit them down, talk to them, what it's like on campus, how the food tastes, everything, right? But I guess they're kind of stuck with what they got, and it seems like they've been making the best of that lately, Nate, because they've been busy. A lot of uh, juiced-up tweets coming up from Coach Babers lately. Yeah, they they gotta they gotta roll with the punches that they're that they're that they're given here. And uh, you're right, you know, typically they they want to see a, a kid in person. It, it, you know, ideally in a in a camp environment where he's moving and he's in some kind of an athletic environment. Um, but it, at the very least, on campus, get to talk to him, see his body language. You know, take kind of a mental note about how he measures up to make sure that height chart. Uh, and what they see on the scouting report is actually <laughs> what they're getting when the kid walks through the door, you know, and, and from a, from a measurement standpoint, height and weight. Um, and, then, and then it's just all about, you know, building relationships and you have obviously get a chance to build stronger relationships when you're around a, a coaching staff for, for a full day or uh, a weekend, if it's an official visit, than you would uh, just uh, passing through a high school or, uh, a telephone or a text. Um, so now all that, all those kind of conversations move online, and so that's that's obviously a different component in some respects. But you know, again, I, I think that uh, you know, with the exception of of the kid you referenced who who committed without <laughs> really meeting anyone on staff, you know, a lot of these guys have at least some measure of of familiarity with with at least a couple members of the coaching staff, where those relationships have been sort of been. Uh, been uh, been being groomed and and um, and established in 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 the prior months and, and in some cases even going back a year or more, um, and then you just really do I think your due diligence as best you can. You try to talk to as many different voices around the kid, 
as possible to try to get a, a more clear, concise picture on who he is. You know, the high school coach, uh, the guidance counselors, all the usual suspects in the school and in the parent and in the household that you can get to to really try to round out value, that evaluation. And then I think you're seeing some kids you know, pull the trigger and, and commit to some of these schools without visiting campuses because, you know, it's, it's just as a big a decision for them to, to want to see the campus as it is for the coach to want to see the kid in person. You know, I think, you know, with everything shut down the way it is and, and you lose, uh, you know, camps and clinics and, and really the whole uh, spring recruiting period has been shut down where no visits are being taken place, you really kind of just have to take stock of, of what you have in front of you right now and you got to look at your options and you say, okay, if this is my best option right now, and we have this uncertainty moving forward where we don't know when the next time I'm going to be able to get on campus is uh, before my season and my school year starts up next fall. You know, maybe it's prudent to, to sort of lock myself into a class um, and, and at least uh, check that box off and at least ensure that I have a place to be uh, this time next year come signing day. Nate Minks, our guest from Syracuse.com. Of course, read his work there. Follow on Twitter as well for the latest. Nate, that's the future of Syracuse football. Uh, taking a, a look at kind of the current state of Syracuse football in the sense of sending prospects to the NFL. We just had the draft. Two players taken, a few players in camps, whenever those camps get underway here in this weird offseason we're in, in football. But what was your big takeaway from the players uh, that are moving on to the National Football League from Syracuse uh, post-2020 NFL draft? You know, it's interesting because this is, this is going to be a little bit of a different answer, I think, but it, it kind of ties in with, with the recruiting topic we just discussed. Um you know, I, I dug through about 50 years of NFL draft data for Syracuse football, and, and probably not a surprise to, to most people listening. Uh, a good chunk, uh, you know, about 9 out of 10, came from within a six-hour radius of Syracuse University's campus. You know, it's, it's a geographic uh, proximity there. Um, and Alton Robinson, obviously, was the, was the first player chosen, went to Seattle. He's originally from Texas. Um, you know, Sterling Hoffrichter, who got picked late, is from Florida. You know, uh, Alton Robinson was the first Texas native to be drafted out of, out of Syracuse. Uh, Hoffrichter was the first Florida native to be drafted out of Syracuse since, I believe, 2003. So it's been a while since they've had really out of, you know, really, really far out of state uh, prospects uh, reach the National Football League. And I think we might that trend continue as we move into here into the next decade. You know, Andre Sisco is obviously the top prospect for next year uh, if he elects to come out early as a, as a true junior. You know, while he is originally from, you know, downstate New York, Long Island, uh, you know, he's obviously spent two years at IMG Academy. So he, he depending on how you look at it, could be, could be considered a Florida kid. Um, but I, I think that you look at that kind of how Syracuse is recruiting now that they're a member of the ACC and, and some of these, these geographic areas that they now have to dip into and try to pull kids out of, you know, they pulled a kid out of Wisconsin. They pulled a kid out of Georgia. They pulled a kid uh, out of South Carolina. Uh, you might see more and more NFL players coming out of Syracuse that fall out of that really, really six hour window uh, that a lot of their players have traditionally come from. And I think that's, it's a two-pronged uh, product. One is, uh, you know, there aren't that many great NFL-quality elite players from, you know, that six-hour radius that Syracuse was able to, to sort of live off of going back to the, you know, the late 70s, certainly the 80s and 90s. 
And two is, you know, again, uh, as, as that uh, talent has shifted more into the Sun Belt and a lot of your competition is, is in the ACC and, and playing in sort of those more fertile recruiting grounds, you've got to do what you can to try to tap into some of that talent and, and get the players and the measurements that you're looking for to be able to hold up in the league you're in because you're not playing – you know the the Rutgers and the Cincinnatis and the and the like anymore. You're you're in the Yukons. You're playing you know the North Carolinas and the Miamis and the Florida States and the Clemsons, and that's a different ball game. Nate, uh, we're in a world where we're trying to reimagine things and what sports is going to look like, and we would have been having this discussion with or without coronavirus, and that is the name, image, and likeness thing. Now that that seems to be moving forward, and it, it won't really, you know, eyes dotted, T's crossed, and all that really till next year. It, the, the NCAA took a major step on this last week. You wrote about this, talked to an expert from Syracuse University about it, trying to imagine how that affects Syracuse, particularly football. I mean, it's one thing with basketball because it's a smaller roster, and obviously Syracuse basketball players are very popular here. But when football is humming, as we saw two years ago with that 10-win season, there's certainly some players that could really jump in on this name, image, and likeness thing as well. So let's try and imagine a world of name, image, and likeness and what this could do for Syracuse football players. Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it's all about you know what they what they do on the field and and how they brand themselves, Brent. And it's uh, you know it, it's interesting. Basketball, it's a much more. I don't know how to say this, so I'll just say what what I'm thinking. It's a much more personable sport, I guess. You know, the players aren't covered in helmets and shoulder pads and gear. You can see their faces. I guess is what I'm getting at. Uh, throughout the entire course of the, of the game. Um, football players, you know, short of those really, you know, uh, small personal, you know, autograph, uh, get a quick autograph before a game or uh, meet and greets, you know, in the summer at FanFest or what have you. You know, a lot of, a lot of what you come to identify a, a football player by is really what he does on the field. And so, you know, certainly if you get a, you know, an Eric Dungy type figure, uh, who's established himself as one of the you know the, the better players in the league? Uh, you know he's going to be he's going to be in demand. But there's so many football players compared to a basketball roster. You know that I think is really going to whittle down the demand. And so it'll be interesting to see how you know who commands the most attention. I think one area where football you know can can stand out too is is uh, on social media and sort of the the untapped and unlimited potential. That that can go into earnings there. I mean, you know, I look at a kid on the roster now who, you know, the average SU fan probably has never heard of, Anthony Queeley, who's a reserve wide receiver, actually is, is making money doing his own shoe business uh, out of his on-campus apartment. You know, he shells he he sells uh, high-end sneakers uh, to to put a little pocket change in his money. Um, you know, the the whole and and his business is entirely run off his Instagram page. He has a separate Instagram page, uh, Instagram page that, that is his business page. So, you know, once you start looking at things like you know up and coming sports drinks and vitamins and supplements, uh, you know they're going to be looking for athletes to, to help market that product and endorse that product. And some of these football players on social media have have the reach to be able to to be able to accomplish that um, for that business. So. It will be. It'll be interesting, but you know, I, I do think in this town, you know, basketball is still going to command a lot of the attention, just because uh, we all know it's a, it's a basketball town. Unless football, you know, gives people a reason to really, 
really uh, turn their head and pay, pay, pay attention and take notice. See, Nate, what you said about Queeley is what really stands out to me. I mean, there's traditional commercial endorsements, signing autographs, jersey sales, things that we think of, right? But in this world of social media, of that generation finding a way to profit off of, you just said it, does it off his Instagram page and I can't get my daughter off TikTok and Snapchat and all these things, but they're finding ways to not only build a brand and an audience and become influencers, but certainly ways to profit off of it. I think that is the biggest growth area. And when people say, well, it's only the starting quarterback or the most visible people that can make money off it, my counter to that is, have you been on social media? Like, these kids will find a way. And and the really, really smart people, Brent, the the... the, the Schools should be running towards this. And and if you look, there's been a couple really notable examples in the last couple months where this is this really underscores the point. Nebraska, uh, University of Nebraska, um, is, is you know there's a there's a there's an element to their athletic department that is about branding athletes. You know they've essentially I think are using an outside firm or an outside company to help their student athletes across not just football and basketball, but, you know, they're very, very successful women's volleyball program and, and all their other sports about having, building their brand and, and, uh, and upping their, their social media um, platforms. Uh, Georgia Tech is the other obvious example. They're, they're soliciting a, a very, very uh, notable, uh, I, believe, I believe he used to be at Adidas, uh, named Jeremy Darlow, um, who's essentially operating in kind of a similar space, all about building that Georgia Tech brand and, and encouraging and, and uh, really pushing their athletes to, to, to up their social media presence and, and build the brand. And I think you're going to see more and more schools really start to, to utilize that. I mean, I, I know we're, we're in an age where we're talking about cuts and, and everything right now in athletic department budgets, but I really think the, savvy, the savvier ones are going to be looking at how do we help uh, brand our athletes and and make that part of the recruiting piece? Because we're we're you know there's no stopping this. You know we're going into an era where athletes are going to be able to start profiting off their NIL and uh, you know the, I think schools it would behoove schools to really put the the, the willpower and the and the resources in place. To really start to uh, uh, to benefit what these athletes are going to be able to do, because uh, you know they're going to be looking to do it. And if your school is, is not going to be positioning them to to make money or or build or grow their brand, you know they're going to look for another school to to meet that need, and that's going to put you behind in the recruiting. Nate, it's good to hear your voice. Certainly always good, but uh, especially uh, in these times when we don't get to run into each other as much. Uh, keep up the good work. Uh, good luck with your move, by the way. That's always uh, a fun experience, and uh, we'll catch up down the road, my friend. Yeah, thanks for the half-hour uh, break from packing. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm yeah. here for, my friend. Thank you, Nate. That's our buddy Nate Mink. Brent Axe 4 to 6, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Back at you on the block, ESPN Radio, presented by our friends at the Salvation Army of Syracuse. Always important to help out our friends at the Salvation Army, but uh, maybe no more important time than now with all the help they're doing in central New York. 
go to the phone, shall we, at 437-7644. Our main man, Scooter in Jamesville on the block. Hello, Scoot. X man, I tell you, you you must have some pull at the ESPN. Someone's listening to you. Why is that? Well, X, I think I was watching Sports Center. I think it was Van Pelt after midnight. They were actually recovering turtle racing. <laughs> Number eighty-six turtle won the race. How did you do oh, it? I mean, I went. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, now, I'm a piece of this action, man. How did you do that? They I think Van Pelt's probably got more pull there because he's a Maryland alum. So that must have been some kind of Maryland thing they were doing with the Terps, but. Listen, I'll watch turtle racing at this point. I was watching Korean baseball today. I mean, if it's a competition and somebody wins and somebody loses, I'm in right now. My daughter was out in the yard the other day uh, playing, I I don't know if you call it catch because it's field hockey. You know, you're just kind of going back and forth. I was calling play by play. I was like, I need this, man. Come on, let's go. I'll take it. Oh, man. I tell you, hey, listen, I got something for social distance for restaurants when they open. All right. They, you know, they, they actually actually put like a volleyball net in between the tables, you know, like you know, like on the other side of the table. So if someone's asking to actually to pass the, the the bread, you have to serve it over the net. So <laughs> they'll stop people now. I haven't worked about the butter situation, but I think that'd be a good way so now, these people won't be, you know, actually touching each other when they're actually passing, you know, passing the stuff. They can do it if, over if, the net. If I'm going to pass the bread, what I'm doing is that's it's it's an oblong shape of some sort. So I'm drawing like five lines in the middle. I'm making the laces and I'm throwing it like a football. That's just me. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, uh, the uh, a slap shot was on again uh, on the station. Now there was, there, there, you know, the scene from the Syracuse was kind of. I don't know if you knew the behind the scenes of some of the stuff that uh, when they did Slapshot, but you know they had about a five. I think the, I think the whole movie there's only five minutes they actually showed of, of Syracuse, but took about four days in the summer to do that five minutes. You know the movies and stuff. Everybody had to wear the same clothes, obviously for the same scene. So I remember my aunt was one of the extras, and she was talking about how high they got in the uh, warmer world. <laughs> she had to wear the same the same sweater because it's supposed to look like a winter scene for five or like four straight days. Oh you know? man! Yeah, so it, it was it was interesting. But uh, what you'll you know, do I, to be in a movie, right? Absolutely. Now I, you know, I was so bored that I, I, at the credits, I slowed it down. That, you, know, was, you know, see if I can see a lady, a lady with red sweaters. See if I can get my aunt's name there. You know, all the all the extras, but she wasn't. You know, she wasn't listed. So <laughs> it's funny but, when I mean, it, what was it? Seventy seven when they filmed the Slapshot. Yeah, yeah. Seventy four, seventy five. Yeah. No, I think it was seventy. Well, yeah, they filmed it earlier, right? It came out in seventy seven. So yeah, right around yeah. that time when they filmed it and. Yeah, it was in the summer, and Paul Newman was in town, and you know, oh, just yeah. hear stories of people, and just you and I have discussed this before, but that, look, that movie's not too far off. I mean, that was not a fictional account of what happened in that league. That stuff happened, man. If anything, oh, re- the real story was better than what they could think of to put in the movie in some <laughs> cases, from well, stories it, I heard. It, it's like it, it, you know, it's like sort of like if he took the real stuff, he said, you know, and try to make a movie. He goes, no one's going to believe it. Well, that's did happen. I mean, the the Hanson brothers are actually the Carlson brothers. They play, I think, for the Johnstown Jets. Brothers. One and of them, they, they, you know, they, they wanted like, to play. Like, 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 they all looked the same. Yeah, Goldthorpe, uh, Oglethorpe was actually Bill Goldthorpe that played for the Syracuse, you know, Syracuse Blazers. So, and like with you know, those fights in the stands. But, you know, they, they happen on a regular basis. So, and you get like Bob Costas on again, ask him about that stuff. And, uh, oh, he's one, got plenty of Bill Goldthorpe stories for sure. Oh, God, geez. And then the funniest Bob Costas story was he's doing a game from the Clinton Comets. 
He's up in this like grafters where they're doing the game. And supposedly, this is him talking about it, not you know, saying what happened. This is what he said on the air. And y'all talking about the story. The owner shows up with a blonde. He goes, oh, our, our beloved owner and his wife, his wife just came into the box. He goes, damn, it's not my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Next time yeah. we get Bob on, we're going to have to ask about that. Now, yeah, Scoop, before you go, uh, and yeah. either you or our buddy Jim CBW, I got some homework for you. Like, how do we bet on this Korean baseball? Can you figure that out Can, uh, for next I mean, time? You know, the, 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 the thing is, uh, the hardest thing is going to be, and, you know, to be honest with you, it probably is a line out there because the only line I saw out there in sports was actually Mexican soccer. So there is something there, but. Uh, you know, I, you see if we I can mean, bet on this Korean baseball, because it's on yeah. my TV now, and I'm, I'm getting the itch. So that, that's your homework uh, for next time you call in. Thanks, buddy. That's our buddy Scooter in Jamesville calling in, always with uh, good stories and 